It's difficult to get through life and not be affected by cancer. Whether you hear the words, you have cancer, or someone you know, cancer is part of us all. When confronted, where do you turn? What are the treatment options? What happens next? C-Sessions with Randall Broad seeks to answer the questions with patients, physicians, providers, policy experts, and key individuals skilled in providing answers. In the process, C-Sessions improves communication on both sides of the stethoscope. Welcome to C-Sessions. I am your host, Randall Broad. I have the pleasure of having the CTO of the Max Foundation, Michael Wigglesworth. Michael, as I say, is the CTO of the Max Foundation. And if you recall, we had a podcast with the CEO, Pat, a couple of weeks ago. And I was so impressed with this foundation, I had to find out what was going on behind the scenes because they're doing such amazing work on a global scale of helping cancer patients not only get diagnosed, but be treated for free in over 70 countries. And they've treated over 100,000 patients to date. It's truly, truly, I hate to keep saying the word amazing, but it is an amazing story. In this day and age, none of this is happening without what's underneath the hood. So I got a hold of Michael. Welcome to C-Sessions. Thanks, Randy. And Michael, I understand you're sitting in someplace kind of sunny and warm. I am. I live on the island of Maui in Hawaii. Okay. We are actually having pretty windy days. We have a nice chilly 74 this morning. Great to have you on. How great it is that you get to do what you do from Maui. Yeah, we're a global organization. We started using Skype and uh, doing the remote video conferencing way before it was cool. Back in the early 2000s, this is all pretty normal for us. I can do mornings with the West Coast, afternoons with Asia, evenings with South Asia, kind of part of being a global organization. Well, and you live in a good spot of the world, so you're kind of right in the middle of everything, time-wise. Exactly. Yeah, it works out great. I manage a team. I have developers in India and Egypt. That's just kind of part of the culture of the Max Foundation. Let's start at the beginning. You just mentioned in the early 2000s. And as I recall, what Pat shared was around that time, little late 90s, I think it was, that she actually got started. Is it safe to say that you've been on the team from the get-go? Nearly the get-go. I'm not sure exactly what my employee number is, but uh, definitely in the first single digit. So I joined at the very beginning of 2003, and that was right after I graduated college. I graduated 2002 from Santa Clara down in Silicon Valley there. And at the time, I was a programmer. I was at school, like I said, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Everybody in my program was going to work for the big tech companies down there. I just probably would have followed that same path, but I had a really dear friend of mine that I had known since high school that had been battling cancer for about four years and he passed away. And it was just this really kind of profound event for me. He was somebody that was really special to me and just showed this amazing courage. And, and I think as patients often do, wisdom beyond their years, I just kind of felt compelled to try and do something as meaningful as I could because I think it just kind of showed me how, how brief your time can be. So wanted to go into nonprofit work, wound up in Seattle, found this little organization that was willing to hire, hire me out of school. Just so happened to be that they were in cancer care. So it was uh, felt kind of meant to be, and I've been there ever since. A nice fit. 
Yeah, one of those things in life that you maybe don't realize at the time, but was this major life moment for me. To your point, and it is amazing losing someone or being diagnosed with something as challenging as cancer does have a way of really opening one's eyes and getting us focused. I'm sorry about your friend, but I'm, I know that you doing what you're doing, you're helping multitudes of people to be better taken care of hopefully live longer lives because of it. Yeah, I like to think that would make him smile if he was yeah. still here. I'm curious, how did you uncover Max? I gotta be really frank, I live in Seattle. I've been involved in patient advocacy for 12 years. I've been actively engaged with many organizations I hate to say it, but I never had heard of them until Dr. Jerry Radich introduced them to me, who was at the Hutch. I'm just curious, how did you stumble upon or how did that stone get turned? That is something that we are, I think, working hard to, to overcome with your help, Randy, that kind of under the radar aspect of, of what we do. But I found, like I said, I was just committed to, to working in the nonprofit sector. And this is before... Gates and some of these huge organizations were quite at the level they're at now. There were some, just some resources out there, and I found them on the, the Idealist website. And uh, they were in Edmonds at the time, in this tiny office up there. I went up and interviewed, and it, it, it seemed like the environment I was looking for. It, it was very much a, felt like kind of a mom and pop type place at the time. There was probably five or six people in that office. And then we had our global team in each of our regions. I remember at the time when I first started having our party, when we hit 1000 patients, and that was a really big deal for us. We had never had that many patients we were helping. Shortly afterwards, in the years to follow, we were up in the tens of thousands. Pretty neat the way it scaled and the way that our little team was able to do that. I want you to know I am doing everything I can to let anybody and everybody know that the Max Foundation exists. It's, I'm just blown away by what I'm learning. It's something that we've been trying to kind of overcome. We're actually in Seattle now, so we're, we're neighbors with everybody. Spread the word. So you mentioned you have developers all over. And give me an idea of your scale. How many employees are you up to now? So at any time, we're usually between 70 and 80 Max Foundation employees serving over 30,000 patients. But And kind of the trick to that is really our network of physicians that we work with. We have over 300 physicians that we're working with and they kind of become our extension. So with our people in the different regions, trying to empower the physicians to collect data on their patients, apply for our programs, that's kind of how we're able to run on such a lean team. And that's kind of been the philosophy that we've built our business model around. So on the technology side, how many FTEs do you have? You say you got reporting to you. I have one in India currently, and then we have a part-time developer in Egypt as well. It was just me for several years. And then probably for the last 10 years, my team's fluctuated between two to four people. I want to know what's under the hood. What are you using? What's your platform? And as I said, we've kind of always operated on this kind of lean team philosophy. And at the same time, we give really patient specific care. I mean, our regional teams, 
They know the names of our patients. They know their families. They know they have difficulty with transportation to their doctor's appointments. I mean, they, they really are very hands-on and very dedicated. So I've always said kind of the, the pillars of the Max Foundation is uh, dedication to our patients and innovation to empower our regional teams. That's kind of my job is to support them. We created our own software in-house that's kind of just been constantly evolving over these years, and it's called PATS. It's a way that we connect with our larger network of physicians to collect patient case data on all of our patients, apply for our programs, and then aggregate that data and their prescriptions into drug demand and, and be able to forecast and move the medicine around the world into the patient's hands that need it. So which software platform have you been running on? We have always been a Microsoft organization. We've used the Microsoft stack since I developed the very first uh, version of PATS back in 2003. And we used .NET for that. That was right when .NET had really just come out where they switched over from ASP to the .NET platform right around that year. It was right as I was graduating college. And then we've kind of been with them for every new development with their stack since. And now we have a .NET web application that's hosted on their Azure. And we use, our organization uses Teams and uses the full Office 365 suite. And the reason that we've stuck with them for all these years is that they have offered preferential pricing for nonprofits and have always just been a really great partner to us. And I think in the beginning of that, it, it might've had something to do, we may have even gotten, I think, an extra discount for being local. They were doing something for Seattle organizations even as well, but we've, we've always used them. They've always given us that good pricing and have now expanded into building our mobile application on their Xamarin platform, which is actually now going to be evolving into a new name, which is, they're calling it Maui. So it's just meant to be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say, how appropriate is that? Well, to give you a little history, I actually worked on the .NET launch back when you were describing. When I was running my business, Microsoft was my largest client. Oh, you're kidding. And I started working with them as a vendor in 1990. And then when I was diagnosed, I sold my business to my employees because I was told I wasn't going to live very long. And I didn't feel that it was going to work for me to be working. But anyhow, I just saw a LinkedIn post on from Brad Smith, who's again, somebody that I worked with back in the day, he's their president. And he posted about nonprofits getting preferential treatment from a pricing standpoint, which warmed my heart, made me feel good. And then obviously you guys being local in Seattle, you, I hate to say it, but I think you do get preferential treatment for that, for, for being in the hood. You know what I mean? You brought up PACS. Is it P-A-X or P-A-C-S? P-A-T-S. So it's PATS. So what do you feel is your most effective technology breakthrough since you've been working with the Max Foundation? It was an extension of the decision early on to create our own custom software rather than using SAP or some other shelf. third party service. I think this was just a little bit of foresight and a little bit of luck as, as most great decisions are. I think that has allowed us to be flexible with the way the programs that we've done have evolved and the way that we've evolved our business model so that we knew from the technology side, we could empower any sort of team setup that we needed to do. And it's allowed us to keep that lean team model that we've always wanted. And I think 
flexibility that that has offered has really allowed us to evolve as quickly as we needed to. Whereas I think if we were using something out of the box, we may have saved some money on the front end, but would have been a lot more constrained. And I don't think we would have been able to do what we've done. Expand upon that a little bit. The logistics of that has to be excruciating. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just meaning that there's got to be, you've got a lot of moving parts. Yeah, it's complicated. The medicines that we work with are are heavily regulated, as you know. And so going from country to country, it's a big deal. In 2016, we added this kind of supply chain component to our business model, hired on some supply chain experts onto our max staff and partnered with a third-party logistics coordinator, Tanner Pharmaceutical, to help us handle that. And it is a big task. I help ease friction between the data that we capture f- through our physicians and turning that into usable information for the supply chain side. So one of the key aspects, language barriers, how do you manage that? Yeah, so that's a good question. We have a variety of ways that we capture that information. And really what we're getting at there is who are the patients that need medicine? What's their medical status? Some places we have clinics in more urban settings that have good internet connectivity, they can communicate that pretty easily. Then we have places that are in remote, more rural settings that have really spotty internet connectivity and such. So in the places where we need a little bit more physician support, let's say the physicians have hundreds of patients under their care. I'm thinking of some of our clinics that we work with in Africa. We have administrators on the ground, we call MAC stations that are kind of the liaison that, that helps the physician collect patient data, collect patient applications, make sure that we have the right prescription on file and, and can help the physician with that. Oftentimes we'll put an administrator in a place where we need a language specific person to to help us with that challenge because maybe it's a different language than they speak at their regional office for that region. Remind me, how many different cancer types are you currently treating? Presently, I think we have five different cancers that we're working with and kind of expanding into various other rare diseases. That was my next question. Is it mostly focused on rare disease? Any situation where there is a medicine that can help a patient population that they have no other ways of accessing. That's kind of where we come in to try to promote that equity piece. Terry mentioned he's created this thing called blood spot. That is that for lymphoma? Spot on. Spot on. Thank you. That is, (laughs) Dr. Jerry is just so brilliant. He is amazing. (laughs) As you know. So we had spent so many years getting this medication for our CML patients and and trying to cultivate that trust with pharma and kind of build these programs out. And they were willing, here's the medicine. We had these programs. Well, all that sounds great until you realize some of the places where we were trying to work, they couldn't even get diagnosed. Right. So that's great that you have the medicine, but if you can't diagnose the patient, it's just going to sit there, right? right? It's pretty expensive to fly a vial of blood around the world. Dr. Jerry developed this system where you could, with just a, a spot of blood on a, a postcard, you could right. stick it in the mail. And- so there's a couple of things that you're collecting all this data not just HIPAA, but around the rest of the world, you've got all these compliance issues. That's true, yes. You're on the backside, back end of this, 
you had to build specific tools around this? Our PAT software has really specific user roles defined. That's really, I would say the main purpose of that is to understand that certain patient data obviously is very sensitive. And so what you can talk about or show to a physician is very different than what you would ever show to say a pharmaceutical partner, right? They are more interested in aggregate numbers and such. Where is the need? How many patients are we talking about? Depending on the disease, how severe is the phase of those diseases? Whereas with the physician, you would be dealing more with patient XYZ here. We're last seen, you know, on this date and you entered this prescription, right? So that level of kind of granular detail is fine to talk about with the physician, but not with every other stakeholder in that process. So it's really about kind of defining those roles. Let's talk a little bit about a huge element, obviously, this pharmaceutical involvement in this, them getting you the drugs, and then you're providing these for free. To me, again, is just a absolute breathtaking undertaking that you're doing. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Multiple pharmaceutical companies that, like I said, it's just been about I think cultivating trust with them, they trust us with their very precious resource, this life-saving medicine, and they donate it for free. And we channel that to the patients who need it in in the areas where they, they really don't have any other means to access this medicine. And I think that's kind of what's unique about us is that that level of patient-centered service that we give. I told you about our regional teams. They are just the most amazing people I've ever known in my life. And they're so dedicated to those patients. And the fact is there are patients who would likely die if they were not in this program. And then the flip side of that is that they likely would live if they were in the US or Europe or somewhere else. So kind of this belief that your geography should not be your destiny when it comes to your health is kind of what drives that. As we all know, the pharmaceuticals are out to make a profit. It costs lots and lots and lots and lots of money for them to develop these new drugs. What is the big benefit for the pharma to be donating these drugs to the Max Foundation and being able to administer these on a global scale. I think it's been a lot about cultivating trust with them that that they would trust us with that resource of theirs. But we've developed these relationships over the years. And I think they are happy to see that medicine wind up in the hands of people who really do need it. And, And I think it's been motivated by a desire to help resolve some of that inequity that exists. The fact that we've tried to keep it inexpensive for them, and I think the fact that they trust us because of those dedicated team members that we have in the regions is what allowed those relationships to to get stronger. This is an amazing, amazing story. In my world, I witness a lot of times that pharma takes a really bad rap. They're out to just make money. And in fact, I have a a close friend of mine who used to work for one of the major pharmas. And he said, if he went to a cocktail party, he would be deemed Darth Vader if he ever told him who he worked for. (laughs) Yeah. Why don't we see this on the NBC nightly news? Why isn't this being shared? This is what the world needs to hear on a global scale, that there is this incredible benefactor, the patients, and then these beneficiaries that are providing it for them. Am I missing something? 
No, I don't think you're missing something. I think that you are noticing the nuance that um, often gets left out of the narrative um, these days. So yeah, I, you know, I, I think any kind of narrative that says one entity or one organization or anything is either all good or all bad is suspect. Yeah, that's good. I, in my experience dealing with pharma, there's been some incredibly dedicated people that are motivated altruistically. And I'm sure there's some that are not, but part of our job is to just cultivate that trust so that you can empower people to do the right thing. I'm here because of pharma, just so you know. For those that don't know, I was diagnosed 13 years ago with stage three non-small cell lung cancer, and I was in, inoperable. There was no way that this was going away unless somebody administered the proper pharmaceutical drugs for me. Knock on wood, here I am. What's next? What do you see on the horizon? What keeps you awake at night? Awake with excitement, Randy. I am very pleased to say that we have just launched the Pat's mobile app for our physician users, and it is going to solve a problem that has always been a challenge for us, which is in a lot of the places where we work, we just have really low bandwidth or no connectivity. So our physicians, as I mentioned, are seeing oftentimes huge caseloads of patients, hundreds of patients, and without an internet connection, they can't fill out an application form to get their patient into our program when they're seeing the patient. They have to wait till later. They have to keep notes on paper. They have to either fill out a paper application form, or they have to take this big stack of papers home at night and do it from their home and enter the patient one by one with their case details and then upload these medical tests and documents that show the diagnosis and such. What the mobile app does is allows the physicians to work offline. So they can do all that while they're talking to the patient or while they're at the hospital doing their work. They can use the camera on the phone to take a picture of the documents that turns it into a PDF and uploads it to what we call the patient's file cabinet. And then when that phone or device gets a connection later, it syncs up with PATS and we get all that. So I really think that's gonna move the needle in terms of easing friction within that data collection process that's so important to find out uh, who our patients are. And what's more, when we ship the medicine to these institutions, they can confirm that the shipment got there and it can help our supply chain out as well. So I'm really very excited about that. That's something that's brand new. And I'm really eager for uh, 2021 to be kind of the year that we make that breakthrough. Excellent. That's really good to hear. I mean, the key word that I hear coming through that is it expedites things. And as you well know, time is of the essence with people with a cancer diagnosis. So the faster you can speed up that process, obviously the outcomes will improve. And that's ultimately what we're all shooting for. Absolutely. So I've asked our development department to start knocking on doors, asking for organizations that want to donate tablets for us so that we could even love it. preload the app onto the tablet and send it to the clinic so that their staff can use it and, and such. So we're really excited for that push. Well, we're going to see if we can get that word out there for you a little bit as well and see if maybe we can't expedite that one along. Anyway, this has been really, really excellent. Michael, I appreciate you taking time from your incredibly busy schedule and more importantly, your important schedule to share the story with us. What's the best way for anybody to get a hold of you? The maxfoundation.org okay. is our 
website. It's an amazing website. You'll find stories about our patients that really are inspiring. I love the artwork. The artwork's amazing. We have an incredible team of young designers and artists in our communication department that kind of bring that story to life. And we also incorporate the patient's artwork as well because we have a lot of artists uh, for our patients, in fact. And so you get to see that as well. It's amazing. Michael Wigglesworth, the Max Foundation. This is C-Sessions. I'm your host, Randall Broad. Thank you all for listening. I hope this was as enlightening for you as it sure has been for me. Thank you for listening to C-Sessions. If you love this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. That helps us get seen. Share with your friends, family, coworkers, anybody who might be affected by cancer, which, as we know, is actually everybody. Thank you for rating and sharing this podcast.